Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where you make your move from product manager to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products that customers love. Now, what happens when you or your organization has more than one product to manage? It's hard enough managing resources to sell and improve one product at a time, but throw another one in the mix and see what happens. Or how about several more products, which is typical for many organizations. Managing all those products is a challenge, and frankly, few organizations are doing it well. They use portfolio management to provide some order to the chaos, but for real order and real reasoned decision-making, my guest has been teaching people for the last decade to use dynamic portfolio management. His name is Roger Warburton, and he's the co-author, along with Steve Kay, of the recent book titled Dynamic Portfolio Management, The Barger Fabrics Case. It's a really useful book if you are in portfolio management or starting to get your hands around how to really build a proper portfolio. And Roger and I have both had the pleasure of teaching at Boston University, full-time for him and part-time adjunct for me. His integration of project management, product management, and strategy makes him the right person to learn proper portfolio management from. In this discussion, Roger shares the history of portfolio management, challenges companies encounter with traditional portfolio management, implementation of his dynamic approach, dynamic portfolio management, and how road mapping is connected to the portfolio. As product managers take on more responsibility and become product leaders, you'll need to know how to construct and manage a portfolio. And the best approach is what you're going to hear in this discussion, the dynamic portfolio management approach. And go to theeverydayinnovator.com slash 203 for a written summary of our discussion, as well as a really useful graphic to help you follow the discussion for implementing dynamic portfolio management. Now to the interview. Roger, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. We're actually getting a chance to talk about a really important topic that we have not covered well in the past, which is portfolio management. And it's something that we do care about quite a bit uh, as uh, project managers and project leaders is managing these multiple projects at one time and kind of balancing that portfolio. And you have taught this topic of portfolio management to literally thousands of adult learners at Boston University, where we have an affiliation, and also at lots of companies uh, in different continents. And you have this recent book. You, you, you updated a book on portfolio management, and it's called Dynamic Portfolio Management, The Bargery Fabrics Case. Right. And that really details what you learned. I always like starting with definitions. So let's dive into how you think about portfolio management and what is different about dynamic portfolio management. Okay. A little bit of history. So in the 90s, mm-hmm. portfolio management was about return on investment. So you tried to pick projects based on which ones you thought were going to have the most impact on the company. Right. And that turns out to be an absolutely terrible way to do portfolio management, right? And if you think about it for one minute, it makes perfect sense. I mean, there's this great story about Exxon has this blob of plastic on the table, right? And they say, what are we going to do with that, right? And, you, and how do you make a return on investment, right? So then um, what happened in the late 90s and the early 2000s was Cooper came along right. and said, no. The way to do portfolio management is to look at the products which are unique and different. And that totally changed the way portfolio management took off. 
Um, it was simple because um, people could understand. They could also, they became much better at it because it was easier to predict which ones are unique. But the way it absolutely changed the world was unique and different is from the customer's perspective. Mm. And so now, you know, people say to me, they come in and they say, hey, Raj, you know, I've got this new product. What do you think? And I say, what do the customers say? Right. And they say, I haven't talked to the customers yet. Doesn't that happen too much? <laughs> <laughs> right. And I say, well, go talk to the customers and let me know. Right. So the two major changes that happened were those. Um, the view from the customer and looking for things that were unique. And it mm -hmm. suddenly was not about low cost. It was not about first to market. It was not about a bunch of other things of which there were lots of books. It was about making things unique. So then, um, and I taught this for many years, and the final step that I made the students do was, okay, you've got this beautiful portfolio. Tell me how it matches to the company's strategy. Right. And the students would struggle with that and they would try to do it. And I always struggled with that. And I felt that there was no formal way to make that happen. It was, it was an exercise that I thought was important somehow, because if, if you had this great portfolio, but it didn't Im implement the strategy, what good was it? Right. Right. And then along came a book, um, an academic book. So it was not generally read uh, about dynamic portfolios. And that changed everything again, because it said, hey, portfolios change, and they change from two directions. They change internally and externally. Hmm. Internally, they change because, um, you know, you're doing a project, and you've got the usual project management issues. It's late, it's over budget, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the customers keep demanding new things, and hmm. you're trying to decide, do I put it in, do I not put it in, um, and things like that. So the portfolio changes from the internal perspective but it also reacts to the external business environment. You know, you get new corporate strategy, you get new managers, you get, you know, environmental changes and regulations, right. you get all the external things. And so, um, so dynamic portfolio management addresses those things. And the key innovation there, I would summarize by saying is the roadmap. Um, and the roadmap is thought of like a train timetable. You publish when it's going to arrive, but you don't say what's on it. In other words, you don't know which passengers are going to be there or even how many coaches are going to be there. So the idea, and, and Apple does this. Every year they say, this is what we're going to do this year. But I'm, I'm pretty convinced that, you know, a month before they don't actually know what they're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> is that ready? No, I don't know, right? So dynamic portfolio management introduces the idea of the predictable roadmap so that the customers know what's coming, you know what's coming, you work with, and you get to prioritize on a regular basis what you're going to deliver. But what you're actually going to deliver changes, both because of the internal and the external environment. So that's how we segue from the 90s in finance, 2000 is Cooper and um, unique and differentiated, which is still valid. This dynamic does not invalidate any of that. In fact, it strengthens it. But then you add the idea of the roadmap of dealing, how do you deal with it in a practical way? And the final piece of that puzzle is the roadmap implements strategy. And then that's, so finally you've linked the portfolio to the company strategy. 
Okay. And we need to dive into some details of how that actually happens. Okay. I do like that train analogy. You know, the, the, the product roadmap is like a train schedule. Right. We've talked about product roadmaps some, and they almost always set product managers up for failure because you're either committing to a set of capabilities that you're going to build that along the way you find out we don't really need anymore, right? Right. The, the, something has changed in the internal or external environment. Right. So that I really think they should be collaboration tools about you know, kind of where we're headed overall. Right. And we also have this tension companies that we do need to work on a time schedule. Yes. That's a pretty useful analogy. I haven't heard that one before. I appreciate right. you sharing that with us. Yes. And, and that's exactly right. And if you look at, I mean, I like to talk about the Apple Watch, for example, where mm-hmm. Apple put it out there and they didn't have at that time, they didn't have a software development system for it, you know, mm-hmm. and then next year they introduced the software development system because clearly that was the priority, but it was buggy and, you know, and then the following year they said, oh, we got the bugs out, right? Right. <laughs> so you could you could see that they were doing the train schedule analogy, mm-hmm. you know, every October, here's the delivery, but this is what's ready this year. Right. And next year, we don't know yet. So I, I it, and it is a good way to think of it. I think it's the right predictable, but it gives the project manager, as you said, the flexibility to decide what really should be there. Yeah, because things change along the way, as we want it to, right? <laughs> if yeah. customers' preferences shift, we better respond to those and not, not build the thing we said we were going to build that they don't want anymore. That's right. Well, the customers <clears throat> change their mind, which they do all Exactly, the time. right? Yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah. lots of pressures going on in a dynamic market. Right. And that also lines up pretty well with agile development. And we struggle at times with, well, which sprint is going to, if we're doing Scrum, which sprint is going to get us to that fourth quarter release that we need? and. Right. So thinking of it this way, I think might help about that. Yeah, it does. And I want to ask you about some of the issues that companies run into with portfolio management. And you hit on some of those already, you know, the, this issue of how do we align it with strategy? Does it really reflect what customers want or not? Are there other issues that you see in companies struggling with traditional portfolio management? Yeah. So first of all, you know, the reader should not take offense, but the state of the art is very poor in portfolio management. Yeah. Um, there's good news and bad news there, actually. Um, if you're a portfolio manager struggling with portfolio management, there are some simple things that you can do that can make you better immediately. And that the good news is you're not very sorry. The bad news is you're not very good at it. But the good news is, hey, you have a chance to leapfrog your competition, right? Okay. Um, so the other thing I always say is don't be afraid of it because the tools are quite simple. I mean, you can eliminate a lot of simple mistakes. The first one is kill the dogs. Mm. Right. Um, And so you've got 10 projects and you're trying to do 10, but you've really only got the staff for seven. And so projects eight, nine and 10 have the B team on them and they show the resources. And guess what? They don't work. (laughs) Right. So one of the first things is ruthlessly killing the dogs. Yeah. And just to be clear, only because one time I said something about you have to slaughter your sacred cows right. and then, then I get hate mail from some some people. So we're not talking about actual dogs. We're not actually talking about actual cows. Yes, I get that comment all the time. <laughs> These are the projects in the portfolio. They're, they're not helping us as an organization, whether that's a strategic direction or right. just raw performance. Right. Your comment about dogs is interesting, and, and I do it deliberately now. Mm-hmm. Uh, people say, well, you can't talk about dogs that way. But I find that people remember the phrase, even though I get hassled for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> the other thing is, um, and this is slightly more tricky, is um, CEOs are no better at picking projects than anybody else. 
Um, the, the, the president's famous pet project is not going to seed any, succeed any more reliably than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a little bit of a challenge. Um, in fact, one of the major challenges in portfolio management. So if you set up a system, typically you get a representatives from all over the company deciding which ones are unique and scare, sorry, scoring the projects mm-hmm. and making a decision. One of the things that was a total surprise to us when we did it in real companies is it empowers middle management. And as much as senior management often says, that's a good thing. When the results come out, they look at their favorite project and go, wait, well, we, yeah, we, yeah, we're empowering you, but not really. <laughs> hmm. um, we had one case where we went into a company a couple of years ago with my uh, colleague who's the co-author on the book, a very innovative company. We did a couple of days of training with the Baudry Fabrics case, and they totally bought into it. And, and they redid the portfolio and um, totally changed the way they talked to the salespeople. Everything worked really well. But the, the president and the vice president kept messing with the portfolio. Hmm. And, and, and they kept messing with it in a way that the team realized was just not correct. I mean, we had not to toot our horn too much, but we had taught them the way that worked. They began to see it working. And then the you know, chief executive would come along and go, no, don't do that. And they would say, but, but, but that obviously makes no sense. Mm. And after uh, six months, uh, two-thirds of the portfolio management team quit. And they said, basically, look, we know how to do this now. And they all got really good portfolio management jobs. <laughs> And the, the CEO came back to us and he said, what happened? And we said, well, actually, you know, this is your fault. Mm-hmm. And he took it very well. Um, and we had to redo the training with the new guys um, mm-hmm. who again took to it. And then on day two, when we put everybody in the room, including the CEO, he said, all right, I'm beginning to get it now. Right. So one of the interesting challenges is this empowerment of middle management. Yep. One of the things that happens there's from my experience most CEOs are not out with customers as much as we probably would like for them to, to have real insights. Uh, okay. And when they do get out, they hear something, right? So what do they do? They typically go visit their biggest and best customers. Right. And they hear something while they're there, like, oh, we can do that for you. We can solve that problem for you. Right. And they bring that back, and that becomes a high priority. And others that are familiar with their larger customer base are sitting around probably thinking that really isn't where we should be putting our resources and our energy. And you end up diluting your portfolio if this isn't given the right attention. Right. In fact, frequently we found that they've evaluated that idea mm-hmm. and stuck it in the roadmap somewhere where it belongs. Right. <laughs> and that CEO comes and says, no. <laughs> right. Instead of yeah, shifting priorities. Right. So dynamic portfolio management mm-hmm. is helping us with this. I, I need to get a better sense of what this actually is. And maybe talking about the benefits a little bit more would help us you know, get our hands around this, about how dynamic portfolio management sort of works. There, as I said, there's internal and external, right? right? Each of them has three things. So internally, mm. you do what's called sensing, seizing, and transforming. Um, sensing is looking around externally, talking to customers, looking at the product. I mean, it's basically your ears, okay? okay? And your eyes. You're sensing... It, and it's an explicit step where you literally go on a, okay, 
And then sensing is an evaluation process. You take all that stuff, put it in the hopper and say, okay, here are the things that, how it impacts what we do. Sensing is just looking at everything, brainstorming, sorry, seizing. Yeah. yeah. So tell me the three again, just so I get these laid out. Sensing? Sensing, seizing, and transforming. Okay, great. Sensing, seizing, and transforming. Sensing is looking externally at what's going on around you. Yep. It's, it's a brainstorming process. You, you, you don't look at your portfolio. It, it's an attempt to just look around and gather information. Yeah, Th- this would be voice of the customer work to understand customers' problems right. and get in touch with us, okay? Seizing, which is the second stop step, relates it now to your portfolio. Okay. So you seize a bunch of things. Um, from all of the stuff that you were sensing, you seize a bunch of things and say, this matters to us, okay? And then the final step is the active step where you transform the internal portfolio. Okay. And a lot of that is project management where you move things around, adjust schedules, and so on. And you develop a preliminary roadmap, preliminary roadmap, because it's only the internal piece of the portfolio. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute. This episode of The Everyday Innovator is brought to you by Product Innovation Educators, your one place for online training to make the move from product manager to product master. When you enroll in one of our online courses, it's like having Chad McAllister as your personal coach. In each course, you get video lessons, added resources, and a private community for collaboration with other product managers and innovators. And, of course, you get direct access to Chad, who will answer your questions and get you heading in the right direction. Past students tell us the concepts, practices, and tools are valuable, but the real benefits they gain are being more confident, increasing their influence in their organization, and generating greater success for themselves and their company. There are four levels of training to become a product master. Find your level now. Get started by going to theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. You're one place to become a product master. Theeverydayinnovator.com forward slash master. Don't wait. Get started now. So at this stage, it's I would expect this is getting a better handle on which projects need more attention sooner, which projects are going to help us meet customer needs and help us as an organization add value to what we do, if we can get them out faster. And so you're putting the emphasis in the right places based on this internal look, and now we're going to do an external analysis too. And notice how you immediately link that to strategy, right? Yeah. You said, you know, customers getting things out faster. I mean, and, and why would you do that? Well, because you really understand the company strategy. Right. Right. Okay. Um, the, so the, that's the internal piece. Then the external piece um, is, uh, has the three things, sensing, seizing, and reconfiguring. The third part is slightly different. Sensing, seizing, and reconfiguring. Okay. Okay. Sensing is the same. You're looking around at what's going on in the external environment of the company now. Um, you know, regulation changes. Um, I mean, if you're in the environmental business, you're constantly having to deal with regulation changes and things like that, which affect the corporate. You've also got green initiatives and all of those kinds of things, right? Yeah. So so this is an environmental scanning step. Like we might use a tool like Pestle 
to say what what's going on in that you know the political, economic, social, etc. Right aspects of our right. business. Yes, and how has the company strategy changed? Okay. You know, the when the senior executives when they do their job well, they are looking at the future, looking at changes. Um, they also change the funding profile. They mm-hmm. they change the investment strategy, right? They look at and so on, and that all affects your portfolio also. So this is all part of the sensing of the external environment, everything that's going on around you, right? So having done that, you then seize, sensing, seizing, reconfiguring. The middle step is seizing. You say, right, which of those chunks are going to uh, be implemented or affect my portfolio? It it says, okay, I I need to do these things. And then the final step is reconfiguring the portfolio. Um, And this is a slightly different word from in the internal portfolio, you were transforming the portfolio. Uh, In the external, you're reconfiguring it because you may decide new processes. Um, You know, you might change an IT system, which changes everything. So you're reconfiguring the portfolio itself. And I have a good example to share with you. It's actually one that we use in the innovation management course at Boston University, which is there was a company that was creating a really good CRM solution. They did a great job of this sensing part, talking to the customers, the internal part. And they had a winning background, and they should have been the next sales logics that we all know for CRM. And they missed an external trend, which was the industry was moving to software as a service. And so their business model was let's sell traditional client server software, big cost up front. Right. But this thing called SaaS was starting to show up. And they missed that and it devastated, you know, their their what could have been great fortunes for everyone involved, you know. Right. And so it's that recognition of maybe an external trend, a regulation change, compliance, something going on that would cause us to reconfigure our efforts and maybe even add something new to the portfolio and say, hey, if we don't respond to this, we're gonna you know, be out of business. Right. Yes, that would have been an exa- a, a good example of reconfiguring. They did the sensing, mm-hmm. but they missed the seizing part, which was how does this get into our portfolio and how do we need to reconfigure to deal with it? Right. That would have been, it's the same product, but we need to reconfigure how we're marketing, charging for it, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's a really good example. Okay, so that, that gives a, a lot of context to this. This internal work, so again, sensing, seizing, and transforming and then the external analysis, which I think is kind of the environmental business scanning right. and the, the business environment we're in, also sensing, seizing, and then reconfiguring the portfolio. Okay, and that's very helpful. And the result of reconfiguring is the final roadmap. Right. So let, let's talk about what that looks like, the, this connection between roadmap and portfolio. Mm-hmm. Because as product managers, we're used to a roadmap for the product that we're responsible for. And typically, if I'm a product manager of, say, four products – Typically, I would have a roadmap for each one of those, right? I wouldn't have a unified view necessarily. I would have a roadmap for what's going on with each one. Someone asked me, sales asked me, you know, what are we going to do next quarter? Here's the roadmap that at least lays out what we're thinking about and hopefully, again, as a good collaboration tool. This roadmap sounds like a roadmap that reflects the portfolio. Is that right? Yes. Typically, it's in quarterly buckets because you don't need to be any more accurate than that. Um, it really is something that goes on the wall and everybody says, yeah, that's where we're going. So it will list each of the products and every quarterly major milestones, uh, major product milestones. Um, so 
development, you know, uh, the two or three steps in the development, maybe when it was funded and then when it gets delivered, Mm -hmm. typically followed by user trials or user assessment, that really important stage that that you make explicit that says, we really are going to talk to the users. We're not going to just release it, right? Um, And the other thing that's interesting in the roadmap are marketing milestones. Hmm. Um, Because one of the things, if if you have a very big, complicated product, the the new way and the dynamic way of looking at it is to say, you know what, let's break this up into several chunks, each of which are real products with a subset of the features. So which features do we put in first, Right. right? And then you say, okay, well, that's a technical decision. You put these features in because we can do them and we're going to release a train schedule argument again. Okay, in October, this is what's going to come out. But now you need to explicitly say, right, how long is it going to take marketing to figure out whether that works or not? (laughs) And so you put, say, a month later or three months later, a marketing deliverable at that point, Hmm. which then is the input to the next technical milestone, if you say, well, that's going to be released six months later, you need the marketing schedule three months before that or something where you would say, look, this is what we found from the customer. So the roadmap explicitly integrates the the major technical deliverables with the marketing deliverables. And it shows people how they need to talk. Right. So when the marketing department says, what am I supposed to do on the 4th of March? (laughs) The technical guy says, that's what I need. And this is what you better give me. Right. Um, And then everybody looks at it and says, why are we doing this? Which is explicitly the strategy. Mm -hmm. Good. So connections back to strategy. You referenced the company you went into earlier that, you know, they lost all their portfolio managers. I was wondering if you had an example of this just working in action that you could share kind of the highlights of that. Yes. Um, The way the Bargery Fabrics case actually works and what the book is about is that we typically do a two-day training course on portfolio management. Mm -hmm. Now, the first thing you need to do when you do portfolio management is to evaluate the history of your products, the successes, the failures, what are you good at, what are you not so good at, and so on and so forth. Well, if you go in on a Monday morning and say to people, hey, what works and what doesn't work, everybody gets defensive. And then, what do you mean? My, my, my project was good. You know, I mean, that kind of, so in order to detox all of that, what we do on day one is the Bargery Fabrics case, where Bargery Fabrics is a company that's, its products are getting a little long in the tooth. They need to be innovative. Mm-hmm. And there's a list of products. And we go through the whole portfolio management, uh, vocabulary, tools, techniques, and everything. Okay. And so on day one, nobody is talking about their own products. They're talking about the technology and what's going on. Very wise. So day two, we go in and we say, we're going to do exactly the same thing, but now we're going to talk about your products. Mm-hmm. And now people when, who on day one would have been defensive, they now say, oh, yeah, well, you know, it really wasn't very unique, was it? Yeah. And, and so people can talk about it in the right vocabulary. And then typically that takes till just about after lunch when we have the senior executives come in and the portfolio team then briefs the senior executives and says, this is what we think our portfolio should be. This is how we should go about it. And in, a, in, in several cases, um, there was one case I did with my colleague, Steve, and I put, went through all the portfolio. I put the portfolio on the screen and I said, okay, so this is the history. This is the good ones and the bad ones. What do you think? 
And there was this stunned silence while they looked at it. And then the marketing manager said, damn, you know, if we'd done this 12 months ago, we wouldn't have lost our shirt on that one there. <laughs> oh, isn't that great? So the, right. they, they saw and, how this would have helped them. Right. And everybody was sort of thinking it might be a good idea, but nobody quite spoke up. But when they actually scored it in real hard-nosed debate amongst each other, the scores were actually quite low. And every, the risk began to show up. Mm -hmm. And um, so it really worked. And then the footnote to that, which was even more interesting in a funny way, was when the CEO came in and they said, okay, and they gave him the same presentation. And I was just watching now. The CEO took one look at it and he said, uh-oh, my new project. I'd better get that into production before you guys put this into place. <laughs> he saw what was coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And um, and it did change the way, it, over the next three or four months, it changed the way the company went about their new products. Mm -hmm. And it had a significant impact on the bottom line. And I was, I was rather pleased with that, that you could do that. That's excellent. I appreciate you sharing some of the results from that. And no doubt that's been repeated other places. And I'm anxious. I don't have my hands on your book yet, but I'm anxious to learn the details of this more. Because mm -hmm. it's an issue for all organizations. We all struggle Bad stereotype, but I think organizations have way too many projects that they're working on at the same time that if we knew which ones actually would create the most value, of course, we would put our resources towards that. Right. So we need to, we need to look at this differently. Thanks for sharing that. Salespeople particularly have a tendency to go, to, as you say, talk to the customer, to one customer, come in and demand something. Right. Right. And, th and there's no filter. And so you have this long list of stuff. And after a while, the technical team will say things like, you know, that customer is 1% of our sales. Why are we doing this? Right. See that one over there, which is 20%? <laughs> right. And, and once you start asking those questions, once you have a formal mechanism to address those questions, people begin to say, oh, yeah, okay. And they stop screaming at each other. Right. A mechanism for scoring those projects and seeing how they compare with each other. It's really powerful, right? You, right? you make it visible. This yep. is good. As listeners know, I always love a good innovation quote, and I ask guests for one. What do you have for us, Roger? This is attributed to Henry Ford, mm -hmm. who is supposed to have said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said, faster horses. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he didn't say that. But anyway, but it's a great quote because the innovation was unique products. But unique was from the customer's perspective, Right. And this is a little bit of a caution there, because if you ask the customers what they want, they only know the current system, right? Um, and the antidote to Henry Ford is Steve Jobs, who just said, I'm going to do it my way and to hell with you, right? <laughs> um, so the lesson from that quote is you're trying to predict the future, right. which is hard. So when you're doing portfolio management, you're trying to say what products are going to be successful, it's not going to be a mathematical algorithm. It is something which you have to approach with a certain amount of flexibility and try to get better at it. Mm -hmm. But things you can do are avoid the dumb mistakes. Right. Yep. That, that's what you do first. Yeah. Make wise bets. Right. Kill right. the dogs. Yeah. Kill the dogs. <laughs> Good. How can listeners find out about your book and the work you're doing? How can they get in touch with you if they would like to? Um, you can always... Email me at rwarb, R-W-A-R-B, at bu.edu. Okay. Um, 
The book is available at all your usual booksellers. However, if you go to lulu.com, which is a print-on-demand publisher, uh-huh. search for my name, you'll get it at a 30% discount. Um, well, that's how you get it. Go right. to Lulu. That's a good good tip. So I will put those links also in the show notes so that we get that 30% discount on your book. I appreciate you telling us about that. And I appreciate your time. As I said, this is a really important topic and one that is it's just hard for product managers to find information on portfolio management and how to do it well. Yeah. When I saw your book, I thought this was really important for us to have a discussion about. Well, this is a good time to do portfolio management because the research has been done and it's relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also quite, as I keep emphasizing, it's quite straightforward and simple. And so um, this is a really good time to say, okay, what's out there? What do I need to do? How do I go about it? I mean, it, it's, uh, and, and since it's not, since it is new, um, you have the opportunity to get out ahead of people a little bit here. Yep. It's really somewhere where you can make a difference. Right. And I think that difference too, as product managers are progressing through their career, moving from perspective, uh, their circle of influence of their product onto now a portfolio view is really powerful for them to move into leadership roles and uh, take more responsibility in the organization. Right, exactly. Wonderful. Roger, again, thanks for sharing the information. And it's so nice to talk to you about this. Hey, Chad, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks so much again for listening to The Everyday Innovator, where you make your move from product manager to product master, gaining the influence and confidence you need to create products customers love. Find the written notes of the discussion with Roger at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 203. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.